topic of our Dhamma talk this evening is mindfulness of postures. And so, so this is certainly going to be a topic that is directly related to what the Satipatthana Sutta. And so, actually in the course of this retreat so far we haven't had too yeah, many discourses on Satipatthana itself and sadness so uh, this talk uh, will be uh, very much linked to the Satipatthana Sutta. And the aim of this specific topic is to support you in your meditation practice. Now, as uh, most of you will be knowing, the Satipatthana Sutta speaks of four establishments of mindfulness. The first one is the establishment of mindfulness on the body, Kaya Nupasana Satipatthana. The second one is uh, the mindful or establishment of mindfulness on feelings, Vedna Nupasana Satipatthana. Then we have the establishment of mindfulness with regard to the mind, Chitta Nupasana Satipatthana. And then the last one is Dhamma Nupasana Satipatthana. Namely, the establishment of mindfulness on Dhammas. Now, the contemplation of the body itself, then, according to the Satipatthana Sutta, gets subdivided into various aspects, and I'm altogether six of them. The first one being mindfulness of breathing. The second one is the one that will concern us certainly this evening, namely mindfulness of bodily postures. And then, as number three, we have clear comprehension of activities. As certain at number four, you know, we have the contemplation of the parts of the body. Then, the contemplation of the four elements. And uh, lastly, the symmetry contemplations. Now, The instructions that the Satipatthana Sutta provides with regard to contemplation of postures, those instructions are rather short. Namely, again, O retreatants, when walking, one knows I am walking. When standing, one knows I'm standing. When sitting, one knows I'm sitting. And when lying down, one knows I'm lying down. Or one knows accordingly, however one's body is disposed. So the reference Satna here is to the first volume of the Majjhima Nikaya, section 56. Now, these instructions are rather you know, short 
and uh, to fully understand or better understand what these instructions are all about it uh, will be helpful to know to know a few more things now a very first observation is the way those four postures are arranged in the instructions uh, is from the more active walking posture to then a slightly less active standing posture, then as number three, the sitting posture, and certainly the last one in the list is the lying posture, namely uh, the more refined and passive posture among those four postures. And the last uh, half sentence, or one knows accordingly, however one's body is disposed, well, yeah, that satna then uh, covers everything else, all other secondary postures. Think of Fatna Venerable Ananda, who was working very hard in or practicing very hard prior to the first Buddhist synod in order to become an arahant and suddenly in order to participate in it. And suddenly he had practiced walking meditation for a long period of time and somehow or other did not realize the Dhamma. Eventually he decided to relax and he sat down on his bed and suddenly then before before his and gradually he went certainly into almost certain or it was just about to go into the lying posture and before his head actually touched the bed he then uh, did realize the Dhamma. So that particular posture is would certainly come under uh, this last uh, uh, half sentence of the instructions. Now, there are a number of aspects that are helpful to know, um, to know about and also you know, then you know, to uh, implement in one's own meditation practice. And for sure one's own practice will you know, benefit from this. Now, the first among these aspects is that, as Venerable Bhikkhu Analayo has certainly pointed out, knowing the posture one happens to be in is nothing other than proprioception, namely the ability to sense the position, the location, and the movement of the body and its parts. Now, for instance, when we sit in meditation, it is obvious by now that we are not going to be sitting in a 
perfect upright posture all the time. Realistically speaking, there will be times when the posture is slouched, there will be times when the posture is what? Leaning one way or another, yes, indeed. Anything else? By me? The posture can be rigid. Rigid, yes, indeed. And so it's worth paying closer attention to one's certain posture. Now, by paying attention to one, uh, the posture one is in, in the course of a day, so uh, paying attention to uh, when one is in the sitting posture, knowing that one is in the sitting posture, and then uh, during uh, the transition into the standing posture to be aware of this, then when assuming the standing posture to be uh, to be aware of this, to know uh, this posture, etc. Uh, this uh, in a continuous manner will help to anchor the mind in the body. The mind has this uh, rather well, bad habit of getting distracted very easily. And an experiential value is that oftentimes it is during a transition from one posture to another that one loses the continuity of one's mindfulness. And as a result of this, the mind suddenly then goes off into thinking, goes off into irrelevant things. So, in this regard, would you say, is it easy, let's say, to walk from the entrance area here to our to the meditation hall from there all the way back to the dining hall and being totally focused on one's posture and suddenly then the various sudden sensations involved in walking without getting carried away by without getting lost in ideas or thought various thoughts is this easy or not not at all just to keep the mind focused for a distance of maybe five meters might already be quite certain and difficult to achieve so on occasion, next time you walk down that hallway, please do check how you are doing. So on your way to the dining hall, you know, honestly, you know, an honest evaluation. How often does your mind wander off? 
and is then not with the predominant sensations, with an observation and knowing of those sensations that occur during the walking meditation. Now, usually, much emphasis is given to the sitting meditation, mindfulness in sitting meditation. Most everyone considers this to be the main aspect of mindfulness practice. However, thinking like this, one is not aware of the potential of the walking meditation. And just like the continuity of mindfulness during a sitting session is important, so too is to maintain that continuity of mindfulness after a sitting session. So, in between two sitting sessions. Now, the Venerable Masi side of Vatna Burma was very clear about his inclusion of Fatna walking meditation, of formal walking meditation in his instructions. And by proposing the retreatants to engage or to be mindful of whatever predominant objects come up during a sitting session and then to also be mindful of whatever predominant objects come up during the walking meditation. In this way, he has ensured a continuity of our mindfulness. Otherwise, if that were not certain of the case, if certain, mm, there were no emphasis on formal walking meditation, then, um, then the continuity of mindfulness would not be uh, given. Now, there's, there are a few passages that uh, uh, speak of the benefits of mindfulness of postures. And so, for instance, we have the Majjhima Nikaya, its first Tatna volume, in section 21, namely the Beya Berawa Sutta, which then speaks of overcoming fear by staying in the posture in which the fear first occurred. So, if, for instance, a fear arises in a retreatant while he or she is engaging in uh, the walking posture, then uh, no, no, the instruction or the recommendation by the Buddha is to keep up that walking posture until finally the fear has passed away. Now, the relevant passage in this, or the text in this regard is, the Buddha speaks, and while I dwelled there, namely in orchard 
shrines, woodland shrines, and tree shrines, a wild animal would come up to me, or a peacock would knock off a branch, or the wind would rustle the leaves. I thought, what now if this is fear and dread coming? I thought, why do I dwell always expecting fear and dread? What if I subdue that fear and dread while keeping the same posture that I'm in when it comes up upon me? Now, a different Satna passage from the Majjhima Nikaya, namely its third volume, section 100, and Sat 12 recommends mindfulness of postures as a way of avoiding desires and discontent. Now, the explanation here is very simple. If we are really focused on our contemplation of postures, be this walking posture, standing posture, sitting posture, or the lying posture, then unwholesome mental states don't even have a chance to arise in the mind. However, when our contemplation of postures is somewhat intermittent and there are gaps in our mindfulness, flow of mindfulness, well, it's just then that certain desires and discontent come up. Now, two passages, namely one from the second volume of the Anguttara Nikaya, section of 13, as well as section 116 of the Itiwutaka, thus so it was Satna said, speak of not tolerating unwholesome thoughts through the contemplation of postures. So if one keeps the mind really busy being mindful from moment to moment you know, of whatever predominant formations come up in, you know, in the you know, walking, standing, sitting, and so on, you know, then those certain unwholesome thoughts don't really have a chance to arise. The same thing goes certainly for the overcoming of the hindrances. Should they have arisen, then uh, one, one way of tackling them is you know, to you know, engage in this contemplation of postures. Now, you might have noticed by now on occasion that when the mind is filled with happiness, the way we do our walking meditation is one thing, and when the mind on occasion is overwhelmed by sadness, we do the walking meditation in the same way or in a different way? In a different way. Or, Let's say, when much 
anger is boiling in the mind. Yeah, then our walking meditation will be most gentle. <laughs> Not at all. And so there is mm, a very clear-cut connection or interrelationship that exists between the prevalent state of mind and how we do our walking meditation, how this standing is occurring, and even a connection to our sitting posture and lying posture. Now, a person who's overwhelmed by much, let's say, worries, much uh, restlessness, will then, uh, in the lying posture, experience what? Hmm? Sleepiness, not necessarily. A lot of restlessness, a lot of tossing uh, from one side to another. And so, the prevalent mental state does have uh, um, quite, or can have, quite some impact on you know, the posture that certainly you know, we are assuming. And so, if you have not noticed this, then it might be high time to start paying attention. Now, the Papancha Sudani, in its section, vol volume, one, volume 1, section 251-252, recommends that with regard to you know, the postures, one question the sense of identity underlying any of those certain four postures, namely, who is it this, or whose is this going, who goes? So is there really a self behind all of this or not? So this simple contemplation of postures might help us to gain some further clarity there. Now, there's yet another interesting discovery that certainly could be made through this contemplation of postures, namely by sticking to a posture for the full period of time, one then gets to see the dukkha as dukkha, the dukkha in postures as such. Now, on occasion, retreatants have reported how much, how difficult it actually is to move this body of ours around for an hour and to be mindful of it throughout this period. Now, 
When various, when one experiences the heaviness of the body, when one experiences various pains and aches in the feet and the like, and one also experiences how much effort it actually takes to move the body from one place to another, then very soon the dukkha becomes obvious. But if one were to say, enough, I'm going to change my posture, I'm going to lie down, then uh, one camouflages uh, the dukkha. So that then would be a way of uh, ignoring uh, the dukkha. Now, Quite a few things could be mentioned with regard to the contemplation of walking meditation. The Pali scriptural term for walking up and down is Shankama and this term also has a second meaning, namely it refers to the place where one is doing such walking meditation, namely uh, uh, some covered uh, walking area. Now, there are quite a number of passages in the texts that describe the Buddha practicing walking meditation. There are, there's a passage that, that describes the Buddha doing walking meditation during the night, and Satna then also passages that describe the Buddha doing walking meditation during the daytime. And then there's even one passage in the Samyutta Nikaya, its second volume, section 155, that speaks of the Buddha himself engaging in walking meditation and a number of his senior disciples, such as uh, the Elder Sariputta and a large group of his followers, his students, disciples, all practicing walking meditation, plus Elder Moggallana and his disciples practicing walking meditation, and Satna, the disciples of Elder Kasapa, Anuruddha, and Satna, and then the last one in the list is Devadatta. And so they all practice walking meditation together. And on Mount Vulture Peak, and then the Buddha addresses those monks, bhikkhus. There you see Elder Sariputta practicing 
uh, walking meditation and uh, uh, his disciples also uh, doing this. And then the same thing and Satna then with regard to, to each of you know, the you know, main disciples the Buddha then uh, gives a certain attribute such as uh, a defender of you know, the Vinaya or as you know, disciples of uh, great psychic powers and so on and in the case of Devadatta the Buddha has not much good to say. And he says, those are disciples who engage in evil thoughts. And then he concludes saying that like-minded people tend to gather. And with that then the discourse ends. So that's just for general knowledge. Now, how then would we, um, allow me to state still one more thing, there are two passages in the Papanchatna Sudani, namely volume 1, 257, and then again volume 1, 258, that speak of two monastics who engaged in walking meditation, one for a total of 20 years and the other one for a total of slightly less 16 years. And both of them became Arahans. So this is to say, or this is to show the potential that Satna is there and in regards to the walking meditation. So ultimately, if we engage in it, it can lead us all the way to the realization of arahantship. Now, how then could we define walking meditation? So clearly, Formal walking meditation means not walking to get to a particular destination, but rather mindfully walking, and in the context of the Mahasi instructions, mindfully and slowly walking up and down along a certain path, and you know, the goal you know, being being to be mindful of whatever you know, predominant object comes up and to know its nature. So that then is quite different from our ordinary type of walking, like walking down a street you know, when we need to uh, make some or uh, get some shopping done. No. There is 
benefits have been attributed to the walking meditation, namely in the fourth volume of the Samyutta Nikaya, section 104, there is mention of well practicing wakefulness and part of this is while walking back and forth during the daytime, during the evening hours, one then purifies the mind of obstructive states. And those obstructive states are then explained as the five hindrances. So walking meditation as a way to purify the mind of the hindrances. And then in the Anguttara Nikaya, volume 4, section 87, we have the Buddha give inst- or recommendations to advice to Elder Mahamogalana, so one of his two chief disciples, who was badly suffering from drowsiness, to do the following. Namely, but if you cannot abandon your drowsiness in such a way, you should undertake the exercise of walking back and forth, perceiving what is behind you and what is in front, with your sense faculties drawn in and your mind collected. By such means, it is possible that your drowsiness will be abandoned. Translation of this, of the Anguttara Nikaya, is by Bhikkhu Bodhi. So the instructions for mindfulness in walking meditation, based, as we've heard already earlier on, are very simple. Again, all retreatants, when walking, one knows that one I am walking. The Venerosaido Pandita Bhimams of Fatna Burma has uh, explained many years ago here at Satna, the Insight Meditation Society during a retreat, how one can discover the Eightfold Noble Path through engaging in walking meditation. So in walking meditation, it is certainly assumed that certainly one is certainly one has taken the precepts, is carefully observing the precepts, and with this one is then fulfilling right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Now, to properly do the walking meditation requires a fair amount of effort and certainly that then would qualify as the path factor of right effort. Now, 
various kinds of fitness sensations of formations will surely come up and to be aware of those and then qualifies as the path factor of right mindfulness when effort is there as a path factor mindfulness as a path factor is also not there then the mind is certainly likely to fall squarely onto the respective object and be fixed to that object of observation hence the path factor of constant of right concentration is also involved now when engaging in a formal walking meditation one is likely to do this with a proper intention with the thoughts of renunciation and certainly thus right uh, thought or right intention is also fulfilled now when all of those path factors come up during one certain walking mindful formal you know, walking meditation then quite naturally the you know, uh, remaining path factor arises and this is right view there you go some deity in the Pali scriptural language Now, the third volume of the Anguttara in its section 29, contains a rather short but to the point discourse on the benefits of walking meditation. And allow me to share it with you, Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi's Satna translation of it. Namely, O retreatants, there are these five benefits of walking meditation. What five? One becomes capable of journeys. One becomes capable of striving, in other words, of fortunate exertion of effort. And then one becomes healthy. One, what one has eaten, drunk, consumed and tasted is properly digested and the fifth benefit comes in the form of constant the concentration attained through walking meditation is long lasting these are the five benefits of walking meditation So these are some of the benefits that could be attributed to the walking meditation, overcoming drowsiness. We could add that certain to the list. And walking meditation will also help us to balance our postures. So if one were you know, to practice only in the sitting posture, hour after hour, one is likely to end up with at least some health problems, maybe constipation and certain related things. 
So by alternating a formal sitting session with a formal you know, walking meditation, there's this balance of postures, and it's that balance that also in some ways contributes to a proper unfolding of intuitive wisdom. So to keep that in mind. Now, when we engage in walking meditation, we are likely to experience or have some of the following experiences, such as at the very beginning of our retreat, frequently losing our balance, our walking might still be rather rough and not very well coordinated. And on occasion, we might know some or come to know some intentions. Now, within a few days of formal practice, we might suddenly discover some more intentions, namely that the lifting process, the lifting of the foot, is actually preceded by an intention. And the same thing goes for at the very beginning of the forward movement, before it starts, there's likely to be a quick intention to move the foot forward. Retreatants are likely to also come to understand the three universal characteristics of impermanence, of unsatisfactoriness, and an absence of itself, or the anatta aspect, that formations are not identical with, with the um, self. So this one, all of this one can discover in the walking meditation. Now, during a later phase in the practice, a retreatant might have some rather unusual experience in the way that surprisingly the walking meditation is very, the body feels very light. And one might feel as if walking on a cloud. Now, much later in the practice, once walking becomes rather slow and yet very gentle, very graceful and well-coordinated, and at such a point, a retreatant is fully aware and knows what is going on from moment to moment to moment. Now, when we engage 
in this contemplation of the walking posture, then it might be worth doing this wholeheartedly. So giving oneself wholeheartedly to this particular contemplation. Now, that then means that one really makes an effort to stay in the present moment as certain of the phenomena are unfolding from moment to moment. Now, formal, mindful, walking meditation then would also involve that one voluntarily cuts back on looking around and distracting oneself in this way. It could further involve that one does this walking meditation rather slowly, realizing that this helps to pick up so many details. And what one could further see to it that one is really aware and knows whatever predominant object comes up moment by moment. And as soon as the mind goes off into thinking or into some uh, idea or uh, planning, etc., uh, then uh, to be right away uh, mindful of this and to know what's going on and then to continue with one certain walking session. So when we do uh, formal walking meditation, on a, and certain at times it gets a bit boring, uh, then we might uh, check, am I seeing any intentions? If so, mm, uh, how do how they how do I experience them? Is there only one single intention to let's say one forward movement of foot, you know, the foot, or could it be that there are several intentions? Is certain you know, the movement one continuous movement, or you know, maybe a segmented movement, and so. And then, what about uh, uh, the proprioception at the point? So, is our posture, our walking posture, is it upright, relaxed, very steady, or is it that the mind is pretty restless and that restlessness then also manifests in the walk, in the way we keep the body? When a particular sensation is presents itself to the observing and knowing mind, do we really see this clearly, this sensation? And it's and it's not just knowing there is such and such a sensation, but 
also knowing what happens to the particular sensation or formation. So let's say if a pain occurs while placing the foot on the ground, well, what happens to the pain? Is it increasing? Is it decreasing? Is it changing its nature? Is it changing from, let's say, the hard pain into a more burning pain, etc., etc.? There are plenty of things that could be um, observed moment by moment. Now, so the walking meditation, contemplation of walking meditation is the first aspect of this contemplation of postures. And now let us... Uh, uh, go on and briefly explore the standing meditation. Even there, even in standing, much um, can be discovered. So, for instance, what about the standing posture? Is it an upright posture or is our posture slanted in one way or another? Is certain of the body rather tense, tight or relaxed, slack or balanced, losing or losing one's balance frequently, is, would you say that the posture is a rather fearless posture or an intimidated posture? Is the posture restrained or uh, rather uh, loose? And then, while standing for a while, let's say at the end of one, uh, one walking path or one stretch of our you know, walking meditation, then what kind of sensations occur in the feet? Or if one were to do the standing meditation for a longer period of time, then the sensations in the feet will become even more obvious, such as the pressure, such as the heat, such as maybe some throbbing, some pulsing, and so on. Now, in the sitting meditation, when we assume the sitting posture, here too, so many different postures can be or could be discerned. And obviously the ideal is to sit in an upright manner with a body that is relaxed and the sitting posture comes in an effortless manner. But that's not necessarily all the case all the time. And so there could be instances when the sitting posture is rather fidgety, so it or the sitting posture keeps changing all the time. One finds the body leaning forwards, a few moments later it swings backwards, then it swings to the right side, then to the left side, and then the head starts circling, and then the body might even suddenly jump up. 
and suddenly so there can be quite a number of footnote changes occurring with regard to the sitting posture. Now, the Buddha has the following advice to give with regard to the lying posture, namely, as recorded in the first volume of the Majjhima Nikaya, section 273, when one lies down mindfully on the right side, or when lying down, one should do so mindfully, lying down on the right side, and keeping in mind the time to wake up. So, in other words, setting the natural alarm clock for the next morning. Now, that would be one aspect in connection with a contemplation of the lying posture. Another aspect is that according to uh, one passage from the Vinaya, namely volume 1, section 295, and a similar passage from the third volume of the Anguttara Nikaya, section 251, well, falling asleep with awareness then improves the quality of one's sudden sleep. Now, apart from these two passages, mindfulness of the lying posture practically means that we are aware of, we label it, we are aware, and also know the nature of the different sensations that occur while the body is suddenly lying on the bed and the mind is still awake. And so different sensations in the back, pressure, hardness, maybe even some pain, some stiffness, discomfort, heat, cold, warmth. And then if there is sudden restlessness of the body, the body is fidgeting, then to be mindful of that too. Now, being contemplating the lying down posture will include the entire process of sit from the standing or the transition from the standing posture into the sitting posture so sitting down on one's bed and suddenly then uh, gradually making the transition into the lying uh, posture now do we always do this when we go to bed? Maybe at the end of a long day, we might have but one goal, to get him into bed quickly and fall asleep even more quickly. And what falls, falls away, or what gets neglected, is the mindfulness. Well, um, if this is the case, then at least in the morning when waking up, we should certainly make every effort to be mindful of this entire process of waking up. Now, so for tomorrow morning, please try to pay closest attention to 
which object are you awake to which object are you waking up to so are you waking up is the very first object some sensation in the body or is it that some sound or noise wakes you up or is it the daylight at 6:25 that wakes you up or the hunger or is it maybe just your natural alarm clock and satna then how is the body positioned at satna the time of waking up or and how's the mind at that point do you dread going into or do you dread facing yet another day <laughs> as some some yogis have reported in the past or do you with much joy look forward to another day of wonderful mindfulness practice so all sorts of ordinary conditions are there so i hope that this will give you some ideas to include actively include contemplation of the lying posture of the sitting posture of the standing posture and also of the walking posture in your overall practice allow me to conclude by wishing may this wholehearted and diligent contemplation of the postures help to improve your overall mindfulness and may it also then help to improve concentration and certainly in turn may it lead to the arising of ever more profound insights into the physical and mental formations and may the contemplation of this or that posture lead you to the realization of the dhamma and hopefully within this very very retreat here at the forest refuge and this is it for now <laughs>